So welcome to this special podcast brought to you by DrByCuspid.com and Ignite DA. My name is Kevin Henry. I'm the editor-in-chief at Dr. By Cuspid, as well as the co-founder of Ignite DA. And I'm super excited to do this um, episode today. This is something that I learned about at the end of last year, and we did not get the chance to cover it at DrByCuspid.com. So this is the start of a series of things where we want to look back at some of the best stories that maybe we missed or we didn't cover in the way that we should from the past year and you know now we can even say the past decade. So to get started, I uh, want to bring in a couple of uh, new friends of mine from Ultradent, and that's Oliver Brown and Katie Loyola. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning. We're good. Good morning. Hey, uh, would you guys just take a moment to kind of introduce yourself to our audience, and then we're going to dive into what I think is a fascinating story. Sure. Sure. Uh, so my name is Oliver Brown. I'm the global brand manager over equipment at Ultradent. Uh, I've been here about five years. Um, yeah, and basically my job is to make people aware of our products. My name is Katie Loyola, and I'm the associate brand manager for Endodonics as well as equipment. And so I've been here about six months. Still a lot to learn, but quickly absorbing. Hey, the dental industry, you're always a sponge. I believe that no matter how long you're uh, Well, hey, let's talk today about what you guys did. A fascinating, uh, I will say, marketing ploy, but it turned into so much more <laughs> uh, with, the, with your Velo Grand Curing Light. And, and certainly a great product. But what you all did to celebrate the 10th anniversary of this was fascinating to me. And I just want to kind of set the stage here. Uh, and I will provide a link to the blog post where the whole story is up there. But they sent a uh, the Velogrand Curing Light into space, 100,000 feet up, and then 100,000 feet back down, tracking it, finding it. Uh, you know, it, it is a story of determination. And uh, as, as you said in the blog post, uh, marketing guys turned into science people. So it was uh, fascinating to read. If you don't mind, uh, certainly, again, you put this 100,000 feet in the air using a weather balloon. Yeah. It comes back down to earth. Talk about the preparation that you did to make this happen as well as, and, and certainly it's in the blog post, but I'd love to hear again just how this came about uh, whenever you all were first talking about it. Uh, well, I, yeah, I can answer that. Um, so my boss, Mike Simmons, uh, he's a pretty crazy guy. And I'm a pretty crazy guy. So when you take crazy, uh, it exponentially grows. And he, he had been over equipment uh, before me. I, I re- actually started on equipment back in April of last year. And our anniversary was in May of last year, our 10-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. And he really wanted to do something to commemorate that. And he had actually taken part um, in kind of a neighborhood thing. Uh, he had a neighbor that had, uh, one, one of the, his neighbor's daughter, I guess had a, I think it was leukemia or bone marrow issue. And her mm-hmm. little brother actually donated, uh, on behalf of his sister and helped his sister out by donating and doing a, a bone marrow transplant. And, uh, and in order to celebrate that his family then launched a, a weather balloon up into space for, you know, with a little bobblehead showing that this little brother was a superhero and they, they awesome. took all these GoPros and, and, 
and did everything like that. And my boss, Mike, had actually worked and helped set that up. And so he thought we should do a similar thing for Velo because a lot of our marketing is eclipsing the competition, out of this world, durability, like a lot yeah. of space talk. And uh, so he said, we should do that for the 10th anniversary. And um, I said, yeah, if we do it, though, we need to engage people a little bit more. We just can't shoot it up there and then they just watch it and that's it. They've got to be able to interact with it and they've got to be able to to get something out of it. And mm-hmm. we actually had uh, another associate that came up with this very awesome idea. And I'm sure we'll get to it to drop pins and guess where the Velo would land. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and once we heard that, we were like, okay, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. We have about a 40% chance that we think that we can actually do all this stuff. Um, and, and kind of claim like, I don't know, there's this weird, weird world in, in marketing where you can have claims, but if you get to a level of, of absurdity enough, uh, you know, legal kind of eases up because it's so absurd. They know that no person will kind of follow up on it. So dropping a Velo from space actually was absurd enough for us to be able to work, which was great. So that's where I want to dwell in a lot of my communication. (laughs) That's a good area. I like that actually. So, so yeah. And and one of the things that, that I was fascinated in and you mentioned it was the, the tracking, you know, not only did you have to build the four GoPros, let me make sure I get this right. You've got four GoPros. You've got the bobblehead of Dr. Dan Fisher, the founder yeah. of Ultradent, which which again was a great touch. <laughs> You've got the Vero Grand Curing Light, as well as the box that's going to be hooked up to this weather balloon to go 100,000 feet up in the air and then survive the fall back down to Earth from that distance. How much planning did it take just to know a, that this would work, and B, what would survive impact on the way back down? Quite a bit. Uh, and that and that was really Mike. Um, that, that was all him, like m- MacGyvering all that stuff together <laughs> and, and building this styrofoam box that where each one of the cameras, the GoPro cameras, could be housed but still be protected and then having – little ledges so that the bobblehead could be seen and the velo could be seen that the weather balloon could be seen that down below could be seen. I mean, all that stuff, uh, was Mike figuring that, that part of it out. And I was kind of the marketing side of it, of how we're going to make this aware. And I think it was probably two months. We had to talk to, uh, the airport, um, and because in order to fly a weather balloon up, uh, you have to get clearance. Uh, there's, Mm. there's a certain limitation on the weight of what can be in that box. And so we had to make sure that we were very, very careful on the weight limit. Um, because if that thing comes crashing down, it, it can hurt somebody. Uh, there, there's all sorts of little different regulations that we had to follow and make sure that we were in line with. And then, I was actually pretty surprised that there's there's programs out there and there's enough simulators that they were telling us exactly where the weather balloon was going to fly. And this is where kind of things take a, a wrong turn uh, <laughs> is we we according to all our simulations, we ran a 20 different ways. We're like, OK, what if we have this much helium, what's it going to do? 
Yeah, that that sounds like a good plan. Uh, it, it really does. <laughs> uh, and, and I would say, uh, just just so those of you who are listening understand that uh, uh, Ultradent is based in the Salt Lake City area, so in Utah. And and again, we will have a link to this article, but you can see how that they their their projections, everything else, had this balloon landing uh, and and its contents, I should say, coming back down in Wyoming. Obviously, that did not happen, and that's where the determination part of the story really kicks them. Uh, and, and I will say, I don't know how many times I've read this part just going, my gosh, you talk about uh, being absolutely, we're going to find this, we're going to make this work. So it did not come down in Wyoming. It actually came down in a very tough-to-get area uh, in Utah. Uh, and I'm curious, Do at, at this point, looking back, do you know why it didn't get to, to Wyoming? What happened that it came down shorter of the goal? Uh, yeah, we, we have a theory on that. Um, you know, um, we're now kind of hot air balloon enthusiasts, but <laughs> basically uh, our, our theory is um, once the, once the weather balloon gets up to a hundred thousand feet, it pops, right? Yep. So um, if you put too much helium, it's going to rise faster and it's going to get to that 100,000 foot level and then pop. And and so the sooner it gets there, the quicker it's it's going to descend and everything. And helium, uh, that, that was actually one of the challenges. There's a huge helium shortage right now. And we we had to struggle to kind of find somebody to be able to give us just enough helium to fill our weather balloon. He was filling it up. We kind of had our our correct payload. And then I think at the last moment, we were like, maybe give it a little bit more. So we gave it some extra juice. And we think that kind of launched it. So it hit that 100,000 foot uh, threshold and popped sooner than we expected. Okay. So... Um, so since it pops sooner than expected, it falls back to Earth sooner. And instead of landing in the plains of Wyoming, it lands in <laughs> right next to King's Peak in the middle of the Uinta Mountains, which is at like 12,000 feet. Uh, so totally different thing. And there was, there was one thing that we had in the plan where it was like, well, what we want to avoid is just don't have it land in the Uintas. By, you know... Whatever we do, let's make sure it doesn't land in the Uintas because that would be the absolute worst. And ta-da, it landed in the Uintas. So. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, not, not mean to steal from the story here, but, but obviously a, a group drove to Wyoming in anticipation mm -hmm. of it coming down. Uh, you all lost the signal when it got to a certain altitude, and that's probably what the signal sounded like. I need to turn off my text messages. Uh, but anyway, you lost the signal when it got to a certain altitude, and you all were in a, a diner in Wyoming kind of just waiting, 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 and it went much longer, obviously, than you all thought. And was there a point at that where you all went, it's over, it, it didn't work? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so we knew that we would lose it at 60,000 feet. The GPS tracker stops working. And so that we were, we knew there was going to be two to three hours of just dead time. Um, but we, we were in Wyoming. We were so excited. We we're listening to 99 red balloons. We we're making all these <laughs> balloon jokes, you know, <laughs> 
And one hour passes by, two hours pass by, three hours pass by. And we're just like, where is this thing? Where, where, where could it be? And then like four hours pass by and finally we're like, okay, well, if it's going to turn up, you know, it's going to turn up, but we're not going to find it today. So we start driving back most dejected, just devastated drive yeah. I've ever had. I mean, yeah, it was, it was really, really, really rough. So we drove back. Um, everybody's asking about, about it because we had this big celebration at Ultradent to commemorate oh. it where everybody launches it. And they're like, did you find it? Did you find it? And we're like, well, not exactly. Or TBD, which isn't like a great answer to anything. Right. So, um, the like 6am the next day, uh, I get a text message from Mike, my boss, who's got the GPS tracking information on his computer and we got a ping and hmm. we all just this huge sense of relief. Like, yes, we found it. This, this, <laughs> how committed are you well you're, you're tougher than me i can tell you that right up front so. <laughs> With the, the snowfall and- i think we were kind of painted into a corner a little bit um and so we we had a meeting we sat down it's the middle of may and we had had like a an unusually uh fierce winter i mean like there's still a ton of snow up there and we start speculating as marketing guys. That's all we do is speculate. Our head is in the clouds yeah. all the time. And so we were like, well, let's get some snowmobiles and we'll get some <laughs> mules and we'll go up this way. And it's 20 miles in and we're coming up with all sorts of different scenarios. We'll take a helicopter, we'll land, we'll jump down <laughs> and then we'll ski out of there. I mean, we came up with nine different ways to try and go get this thing. And the company very smartly protected us from ourselves um, because we probably, I mean, it would have quickly turned into a live, uh, you know, that old movie from the 90s. You know, between so. between MacGyver and 99 Red Balloons and Alive, we're, we're giving, uh, giving our younger audience a lot of things to Google here. Uh, at the end of the <laughs> Um, well, so, so again, back to, back to the article, back to what I read, you know, you've got an incredible snowpack that's there. So you've got to wait until the snowpack is melted. You've got to wait until you can actually get to it. And then it's it's not like you drive there and you walk five feet. No, there it is. You know, you all are taking a two day, uh, hike into the mountains to where you thought that this was. And, and I was just fascinated again by the, the uh, perseverance uh, to, to find this. But the two-day hike in, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it was, it was a, a 10-mile hike in. Um, we, we did some negotiations with our bosses and with Ultradent, what they were comfortable with, and they, they allowed us to take horses in. Um, at, so, like, you had to... We had to drive, I think, an hour and a half just to get to the trailhead from where we were at. And then it was 10 miles or 11 miles in. So we did that on horseback. And it was like 1,200 foot elevation. So that put us at 11,000, 12,000 yeah. feet um, with the full set of camera gear, uh, all, all these different supplies and everything to be able to document all of it. And uh, 
So we went up there. Um, again, we're ecstatic that we just have the chance to try and find this thing and see if this whole crazy experiment actually worked. Um, we're taking horses up there. Um, quickly learned that uh, uh, <laughs> we weren't as experienced cowboys as a lot of us probably thought we were. <laughs> it's a live animal. Um, so like we were... I mean, the horses were were much better at taking care of us than we were of them. So um, just where we were guiding them and it, it was incredible that we got up there and we we camped at a little place about a mile away. Uh, I, in my idiocy, forgot my sleeping bag. So I had to spend the night out in 40 degree weather. Um, and all night. And, and, and if I, if I remember the quote, right, you had to use the horse blankets that smelled like butt, I believe was the quote, which was a beautiful quote. Yeah. That's the medical <laughs> term for it. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful quote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I woke up a little bit ornery that morning because I didn't get a lot of sleep. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then, then we hiked over to, uh, uh, where it was at and we started looking and it was this, it's this huge rock slide um, just and we're trying to use a drone that's actually flying over the top just to make it easier so we can serve as much energy as possible. And there's just no way we can see it. So we start walking over and um, my Mike spots it and starts whistling and we all just start running over there. He spots the, the payload box. Mm -hmm. And so, we all run over there and we find the payload box and the Velo is nowhere to be found. The Dr. Fisher bobblehead is nowhere to be found, but all we have all the cameras. Some of the best footage I'd ever seen of the Velo in space. Um, it, it was breathtaking. I will say the picture of, of the Velo as well as Dr. Fisher uh, with uh, out there, it's, it's fascinating. And, and just again, kudos for, for getting that part of it to happen. But I know that you all are still trying to hit that home run instead of the double. And that's kind of the cheering light then that came out. And obviously you found the payload box, you found, you found the footage, but you had to leave without the curing light. And Katie, I know this is where you joined the search party then for round two. Uh, so, so, Katie, I've got to ask. So you're you're getting uh, you know you're going into the mountains here. You're you're hearing we've got to find it. Did did you all believe that a it was going to be found and b it was going to be intact, or was this just a gosh we hope it's going to happen? So I it was fairly new still at Ultra Dent when we went on this trek. I'd been there for about three weeks, so. <laughs> Let's just, I didn't really know what I was signing up for, but when we started, I felt fairly optimistic, like we would definitely find it. And then you come to this rock face that's much larger than I anticipated, and you have boulders the size of a school bus, and you have to think that you're going to dig through them or scale to the edge of a cliff to try to find this thing. And it was kind of like, okay, this isn't worth risking our lives, but at what point do we say no? <laughs> so yeah, right. it was an incredible experience, and I'm glad we found it. It really was like a, a needle in a haystack. Well, you're, you're definitely, uh, you know, involved at this point. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, what, was there, uh, uh, Oliver, I've got to ask, was there a point whenever you're getting ready for the second one that you're like, 
okay, if we don't find it this time, it's it's the white flag, we're done, or was it we're going to find it no matter what, no matter how much effort it takes? Uh, I think it, you know, we didn't really talk about it. We'd been devastated a couple of times already, and we just, we didn't want to really chat about it or, or do anything in re- in regards to that because i think that kind of would uh uh put us all down um yeah, so it, it was just kind of an unspoken thing that we weren't going to talk about if we failed okay all right um so yeah we pretty much the whole i mean we went back out there same type of deal we didn't have horses this time and we're hiking up there and we're just talking about what are we going to do when we find it there is no question yeah, okay that we weren't going to find it because what I, I, I guess that's just Mike and me, we were committed. I mean, crazy committed at, at this point. And it was probably good that we had Katie there to be our, our sanity check on it. But pretty soon she got, she drank the Kool-Aid too. And she was like, we're going to find it, you know, and she's there you go. trooping up the mountain and kind of dragging us along. So uh, yeah, it, we we went and looked where by the payload box and we searched all through this loose shale and all these different boulders and it was really pretty sketchy on i mean because you're walking on loose shell you turn an ankle and then you're 10 miles away from anybody and i'm wow. an eagle scout uh you know really proud of it but I, there's nothing i would have been able to do i don't know how to build a splint or make a stretcher out of two sticks like it we we would have been in real trouble if there was an issue so we were lucky that nobody got hurt but there was we we kind of searched for three hours and we're like we've combed through that we don't want to look at that all this loose shale and boulders anymore so the next the next morning we decided to go up on this ridge and looking up on the ridge i mean it looked really really dangerous just from our perspective like it was this i don't know cliff face that we would there'd be like a three foot you know sheer drop cliff that that you would be walking on uh once we finally got up there it was relatively flat and nice and pretty easy to to hike and traverse across um so we could search a little bit more and and what was the reaction whenever you finally saw it? I mean, I I've, I've read the story, I've read about the screams and the people thinking that something was wrong, uh, you know, <laughs> which I think is awesome. Uh, but but I I seriously can't imagine after all you've gone through and everything else, you find it and you don't just find it; it works. You know that that's the amazing part of the story to me as well. Yeah i I can't really describe it, and I get that it's it's just a simple story. I was elated. I don't think I've ever screamed or yelled. And I'm, I'm a pretty emotional guy. You know, I was that all I could do was just bellow. That that was all I could do. <laughs> yeah, it, it's an amazing story. And and obviously it's one with a with a true happy ending. Uh, and and but, but I think, it, it you know, there's two things that stood out to me. Number one. Uh, durability of the product, uh, you know, I, I, it's fantastic, as well as, again, just the can-do attitude that uh, you all and, and the rest of your team showed in making sure that uh, this 
this wasn't a a story without an end that it actually came came through and and you all have used this uh, for for some good stuff and I'm really glad that uh, we were able to talk about this today what um, and I'll ask you both this question uh, before we wrap up what's what was the biggest thing you would change if you had to go back to do it again as well as what's the biggest lesson you learned from this as far as change i don't maybe don't not know. yeah i don't know if we would change anything uh, yeah I don't, I don't think i we would really change okay anything all right from for my part i i mean i wish we could have had the material sooner but it was uh in order to be able to share it but um as far as the story and how it went and how as soon as we got the assets, how our team reacted and we all came together to, to tell the story and, and make it really compelling. I, I don't think I would change anything. Well, there you go. And, and uh, I, I know you all have learned a lot about ballooning, as you said, and have a lot more expert in that respect. Um, and, and I won't even ask what's going to top this for the 20th anniversary of it. So we, we won't even get it. volcano i like it kill away here we come so all right sounds good Mm -hmm. well oliver katie thank you guys so much for your time i really do appreciate it thanks for kind of sharing the story behind the story here uh on this uh this fascinating uh, topic yeah thank you i i think it's just a it's a really a good testament of how our ultradent works and how that perseverance that we got to experiment. I mean, we were, we were only involved in this for five months. Um, that, that type of allowing people to kind of grow and fail and try new things. Uh, it's, it's very, uh, indicative of our company. And, and some people have challenges that they're trying to figure out and needles in haystacks that they're trying to find for years. And, as a marketing person, it's really fun to be able to work at a company like that, where they allow you to, to try and find it. Encouraged. Yeah. Well, well, very cool. Congratulations on the success of it, the steadfastness that you and and the perseverance and all that good stuff. And again, I really appreciate both your time uh, sharing it with our audience today. Thanks so much. And thanks to all of you uh, for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate it. We love finding the stories behind the stories to share with you. want to encourage you, obviously, check out the Velogram Curing Life from Ultradent. Uh, if it can survive a 100,000 footfall, I'm pretty sure it'll be okay to use in your practice. Just a shot in the dark there. So, And, and, and feel free to use that in your marketing materials because that's, that's quality <laughs> quote there. So. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Kevin Henry, the co-founder of Ignite DA and the editor-in-chief for Dr. Mike Cuspin, signing off, wishing all of you a great day and a great week ahead.